Daniel chapter 6, starting verse number 1. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom in 120 princes, over the Persian Empire. That's the context of where we're at, Persian Empire, which should be over the whole kingdom. And over these three uh, presidents, of whom Daniel was first, that the princes might give accounts unto them and the king should have no damage. So basically he's just talking about the bureaucracy that's set up. There's this whole Persian Empire. There's presidents over different provinces. And there's three presidents over all the people who, basically there's three people who are running the country besides the emperor. Daniel was one of these, uh, along with a couple other guys. Then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Kind of a big big promotion, right? Then the presidents and princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none, uh, none occasion nor fault. Much as he wa- uh, for as much as he was faithful, neither was there any error or fault found in him. So this is a good guy. Then said these men, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God, his religion. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes, the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute. We want to put forward some legislation to you and to make a firm decree that whosoever shall ask a petition of any God, any God or man for 30 days, save of thee, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which altereth not. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, so he knew the writing was signed, he knew this piece of legislation was signed in the law, he went into his house and his window being opened in the chamber uh, toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Okay, we've talked about this scripture a couple months back, uh, not pertaining to the same thing we're going to talk about today. But uh, before we get to that, let's, let's kind of ease our way into this story. Have you ever had car problems before? Every hand should go up unless, uh, well, I don't know, but every, every hand should go up because we've all had car problems before, right? Car problems are the worst. Car problems are the absolute worst. Uh, I remember up until recently, we owned a 90s Honda Civic. And if you were at uh, Connect Groups on Wednesday, I just mentioned this briefly, but we used to own a 90s Honda Civic. And uh, if you know anything about Hondas, Hondas are good cars. Hondas are, are solid, solid cars. They run. Uh, but we had a 90s, up until maybe a year or two, we had a 90s Honda Civic. And uh, before we started the church, we traveled around and uh, we traveled throughout California and Arizona trying to raise support uh, from different churches uh, for the church. So we'd go from church to church uh, in California and Arizona, and uh, we'd ask for them to, to sponsor the church to help raise funds for the church. And so this is what we did. And we took our, uh, our trusty uh, Honda 90s Civic. And so we were driving to the Bay Area one particular weekend, and uh, that's about six hours away. It's, it's, it's a long haul. And it was the midsummer time, and so it was super, super hot. And so we're driving our 90s uh, Honda Civic, and again, this thing's been a trooper for as long as, you know, my wife's owned it and as long as we've been married because it was her car. And so it, it's been a trooper. And so we were driving this car, and uh, we were out in the middle of nowhere, middle of nowhere. And all of a sudden, we see the, the heat meter. I don't know what it's called. I'm not, I'm not a car person. The heat meter, it starts to rain. 
raised, right? It starts to get really hot. And uh, so me and my wife, get, we're like, we're starting to get worried about what are we going to do? And so we're trying to fix, the, we're trying to, as we're driving, we're trying to see what will bring it down. And finally, we turned the air conditioner off and that turned the air, con, uh, that turned, that made the heat go down. It stabilized the, 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 uh, the so it didn't overheat the car. And so, so it's fine, right? We got it all taken care of. We just don't have any air conditioner in 100 degree plus weather. And uh, to add insult to injury, as we were driving in the middle of nowhere, there's a big, huge, maybe you've driven past it before, there's a big, huge cow farm as you're driving uh, up in this direction. So we're driving and uh, we don't have any air conditioner and all there is that's coming into our car is the fan and it's all, it smells of manure and it smells, it smells of cow farm, right? It's not a good, and so finally we get to uh, close to our destination, probably a couple miles away, and we noticed that uh, not only we couldn't turn the air conditioner on now, but the car was starting to smoke. And so we, we pulled off the side of the road and um, as a guy, I don't know anything about cars, but I know as the husband, you're supposed to act like you do. So I get out of the car, kick the tire, because that's what you're supposed to do, open up the, uh, the, 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 the lid to the engine, <laughs> I don't know what that's called either, the lid to the engine, and um, I look inside, you know, hit a couple things, tinker with it, and say to my wife, I don't know what's going on, uh, I just know it's smoking and it's not good. So we drive our car like that for uh, four to five months. And I don't know, again, I don't know anything about cars. I guess it sounds so dumb when I say it out loud, but I guess I was just hoping the problem would go away, right? But car problems don't just go away. And so finally we find out from some people that we knew that it was actually a blown head gasket. It's the worst, right? Blown head gasket is the worst. And for those of you who don't know blown head gasket, because I didn't know what that was either, it's this little piece that seals the, let me get it right, don't judge me if I don't get it right, it seals the engine block to the cylinder, Okay, good. I got some heads from some of the guys that had not. Okay, good. It seals. It's so. And the reason it's so expensive, it costs. It usually, it was going to cost for us about fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars to to fix the, uh, the the blown head gasket because the uh, whoever's working on it, they had to take out a portion of the entire engine uh, to in order to get to that little piece. And you get to the piece. It's it's not even that big. It's just like a, it's just maybe you know it's a little head gasket. It seals some stuff. And uh, but it's one of the component parts. If if you don't have the head gasket working in your car, eventually the entire car is going to blow, as was the case in our, uh, our, our, our Honda. The, uh, the oil started, or there was coolant that started to get in the oil and started to look muddy, and so that was one of the signs, you know. It's, our entire head, head, uh, head gasket had blown, and so we had to get rid of it, even though it was just this little piece, right? It's just this little component part, and if that little component part isn't working, there goes $2,000. Like a head gasket, when you take apart and you break down Christianity into its most fundamental components, the most fundamental of all the components of the Christian life is the relationship between God and the individual. That is the most fundamental of everything in the Christian life, everything in a believer's life. The most fundamental component, the most fundamental part in the Christian life is the relationship between God and the individual. The whole of the Christian life is held together or torn apart by this dynamic. The relationship between God and the individual is the part of the Christian's life on which everything else is built. If the relationship between God and the individual is not where it needs to be, everything else in the Christian's life will not be where it needs to be. While this is the most important part of the Christian life, it is at the same time the most quiet and unseen part of the Christian life. It goes unseen. You can't see someone's relationship with God. Our relationship with God is at the core of everything we are or are not as believers. And like any relationship or friendship, the quality of the relationship depends on the depth of the interaction. 
If interaction is distracted, infrequent, and impersonal, then that's what the relationship is going to be as well. The relationship will feel unfulfilling, it will feel boring, and it will feel taxing if the depth of the interaction is not what it needs to be. And if we were honest, our relationship with God can sometimes feel like that. Sometimes our relationship with God can feel boring. Sometimes our relationship with God can feel taxing. Sometimes our relationship with God can feel distracted, infrequent, impersonal. So the question is, how do we develop a relationship with God that is, instead of uh, unfulfilling, life-giving? Instead of taxing, restful. Instead of boring, joyful. How do we cultivate? How do we create a Christian life in a relationship with God that is like that? And we see this through the life of Daniel. So Daniel was a Jew living in the Persian Empire before. I've I've explained this to you before, but Daniel was a Jew living in the Persian Empire. Uh, He was working for the king of Persia at this time. And so he's a a Jew who practices Judaism. And he held one of the highest government positions in the land, and the king wanted to promote him. He wanted to promote him to essentially second in command of the entire empire. The Persian Empire was a huge empire, and the king wanted to promote uh, Daniel to second in command, except for one thing. The people who worked with Daniel, his uh, colleagues, and the people who had basically a lateral position as he did, they didn't want him to get the position. So uh, just as any self-respect, uh, self-respecting politician does, they looked for dirt on their opponent. They tried to look for dirt on uh, Daniel. And the only thing they could find, they couldn't find anything, but the only thing they could find, the only only leverage they could find against Daniel was his religion. He practiced Judaism, and more specifically, he prayed three times a day. He prayed at morning, at noon, and at night. And so they said to themselves, well, let's go to the king with a piece of legislation that says only the only God you could worship, the only uh, petition you can ask is to the king and nobody else, no deity, no man. For 30 days, the only person you can worship is the king. And so they bring this piece of legislation to the king and obviously the king likes it because kings like that kind of thing. He signs it into the law. And so Daniel's co-workers and his colleagues, they say, oh, we got him. We got him right where we want him. And so they go and they have a little stakeout. You can imagine... They had probably the cheesy florist van they were hiding in. They were all wired up, and they were right outside of Daniel's heart, maybe a house across the street, and they were waiting. Maybe they bugged his house. I don't know. They were right across the street. They were looking, and they were waiting for Daniel because they know Daniel is going to pray. And Daniel, the Bible makes it very clear that Daniel knew that the law had been passed. So it wasn't like Daniel didn't know a law had been passed saying, you can't worship anybody but him, uh, the king. Daniel knew. The Bible says he knew uh, that. So you look at verse number 10 and 11. Now when Daniel knew that the writing, he knew that the writing was signed, he went to his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. This is what he does. Even though he knows a law has been enacted, it has been passed, that can make him be put to death through the lion's den if he does not uh, stop praying. This is what he does. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Sure enough, sure enough, they find Daniel. Daniel came home, opened his shutters uh, as he always did and prayed to his God like he always had, law or not. This is what Daniel does. Daniel recognized he recognizes, don't miss this, that his personal time with God, uh, with God was more important than any relationship he, uh, he had. It was more important than his reputation. It was more important than his position. It was more important than anything he had going on in his life. It was more important than his income. It was more important than even his life. 
The time he spent with God was the highest priority in his life. This was his highest priority. If we want a Christian life and a relationship with God that's real, that's life-giving, that's full of joy, it must be our highest priority and it must be personal. Our relationship with God must be our highest priority. It must be personal. All Everything else in our Christian life is built upon our relationship with Jesus Christ. Who we are to God is the most important and it's the most fundamental part of who we are. It's the most fundamental part of our Christian life. Let me encourage you this morning to, like Daniel, set aside time for God in your day. Set aside a time in your day for God. Many people call this quiet time. Maybe you've heard that before. Many call this a quiet time with God, a time in your day that is set up and set aside specifically and exclusively to worship God and to know him better. Set aside time where it's just you and him. Let me encourage you this morning, have a quiet time with God. Have a time in your day that's set aside exclusively to spend time with Jesus. This is one of the most important uh, principles that we can learn as Christians. Quiet time with God is how we engage with God personally. We engage with God in worship, as we did this morning. We engage with God on a Sunday uh, morning. We engage with God during a Wednesday night Bible study. But the most important time to engage with God is personally, daily, uh, getting away and finding time with Him. Quiet time with God is how our faith becomes personal and not just public, not just uh, uh, around a bunch of people. It, that's how our faith becomes something that's hidden in our heart and woven into the fabric of our life. This is how our faith becomes an interaction rather than a function. This is how our faith becomes who we are rather than something we do. The time with God is the bedrock of the Christian life. It's our foundation. This is our power source. Your time with God on a daily basis is your power source. This is how mortality uh, speaks to immortality. Quiet time is that table where humanity interacts with divinity. Why would we not make that a priority? The, the, the opportunity that we have as human beings to interact and have relationship with the God of the universe. Through the ages, believers have prioritized their personal time with God so highly that they made it the first part of their day. Look at what David said, Psalm 63. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. David made it the first priority in his life, and he did this. He, he had so much conviction around this principle that he made it the first thing he did in the morning. Jesus was no exception to this. Maybe you're thinking, I don't know where you're going with this, Pastor. Jesus did this. Jesus was no exception. He prioritized personal time with the Father during the first part of his day. Look at Mark chapter 1, verse number 35. In the morning, rising up a great while before day. So he takes it even farther than Daniel and David do. Rising up a great while before day, he went out and departed into uh, a solitary place and there prayed. Thousands of years later, after Christ, E.M. Bounds said this about quiet time. He who fritters away the early morning. I love that he said the word fritters. But he who fritters away the early morning, its opportunity and freshness in other pursuits than seeking God, will make poor headway seeking him the rest of the day. Why did David, why did Daniel, why did Jesus prioritize time with God? Why have Christians down through the ages have done the same? Why is it that they do this? Because quiet time with God will set the direction for the rest of your day. So when, I, when I'm about to get in my car, when I get in my car and I'm about to go someplace, maybe go to L.A., maybe go to San Diego, I'm about to go on a long drive. You know, the first things I do is I set my GPS because I don't trust my own memory. I set my GPS. That way I know exactly where I'm going before I, before I even leave, right? And the second thing I do is I always 
set up either the radio. I always turn the radio on so I can listen to the music, set the mood for my drive. That way I don't get too mad at people when I'm driving. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? I have to put some, some, some slow music on or I just put some podcasts on. I listen to something because so I want to set the mood for the, uh, the rest of the trip. That's what a quiet time with God does. That's what relationship with God in the morning does. It sets the direction and the mood for the rest of your day. That's why this is so important. Why would we not want to spend time with God when we can allow him to direct our life for that day and we can allow time with him to set the mood uh, for our day. He can set the atmosphere and the ambiance for our day. Why would we not be intentional about that? You know why that's important? Because there's going to be something in your day that's going to set the mood for your day. There's going to be someone that gets mad at you. There's going to be kids screaming. There's going to be stuff going on. And that is going to try to, that's going to try to derail the mood that you have for your day. Why would we not establish the mood for the day by coming uh, before God and allowing him to set it? Why would we not set the direction for our day before anybody else tries to do it? Set our direction with God. Having time with God first thing in my day helps set the direction and mood for the rest of the day in whatever I'm doing. Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm too busy. That's a legitimate concern, right? You say, oh, I'm too busy to spend time with God. I'm too busy to read my Bible. I'm too busy to pray. My life is anything but quiet. It's not happening, Pastor. You don't know my schedule. My life is too chaotic. And sometimes life is chaotic. But sometimes life feels chaotic, not because we have too much going on, but because we don't have the right things going on. Martin Luther put it this way. He says, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. It's a radical idea, but it's, take, it's well taken. The idea is we have so much going on in our life, so much going on in our day. That isn't a reason not to spend time with God. That's all the more reason to spend time with God, to get his direction, to allow him to establish the mood, to allow him to renew my mind and make sure that everything is going on the way it should in my day. I had a professor in college who held a principle for himself. He said, Bible before breakfast. That's what he said. No Bible, no breakfast. That's just a principle he held for himself. He wasn't going to eat his breakfast. He wasn't going to start his day until he started his day with Jesus. And I can tell you this morning, there is no better way to start your day than to start your day with Jesus. Make it a priority to meet with God before the start of your day. When we start our day with Jesus, it makes it much easier to continue our day with Jesus. Who you start your day with will help make it easier to continue uh, your day. When we start with God's word, it's much easier to bring to memory the rest of the day what you've read in his word. It's much easier to bring it to memory. And this is the essence of meditation. Meditation, we think of meditation as some, some guru somewhere in a temple, in a mosque, or in some out in the middle of nowhere, sitting with his legs crossed, with his hands like this, saying, um, right? Um, that, that's not what meditation is in the Bible. Meditation is a very simple thing. Meditation is where we get something. We bring to memory a truth from God's word, and we think about that truth all day. We mull it over in our mind. We think about it. So let me put it to you this way. I don't know how many of you guys like chewing gum. I like chewing gum every once in a while. When I'm around people, I like to chew gum for obvious reasons. What do you do with a piece of gum? And well, if you're anything like my, my wife, Amanda, so chew the gum for like five minutes, right? It's probably what your kids do too. Chew the gum for like five minutes till all the sugars and all the flavors are out of it. They spit it out and they get another piece after five minutes, right? What I like to do, I like to chew on gum just to keep my mouth busy, right? I chew on the gum, chew on it, just one piece of gum. You can chew on a gum all, all day long if you want to. You can get all the juices out of it. You can get all the sugar out of it. You can get all the flavor out of it. I just love chewing gum. You know what meditation is like? You know what meditating on God's word is like? 
How many of you guys like that? That's a nice picture on a Sunday morning, right? You know what meditation is? It's you getting a truth from God's word and chewing on it, putting it in your mind in the morning and chewing on it all day. Okay. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. That's the, that's the gum I'm going to chew on today. That's the truth from God I'm going to chew on all day. And it's a simple, it's a simple truth, but I'm going to chew on it all day. When I'm feeling down, when I'm feeling discouraged, I'm going to get that little piece of gum, I'm going to put it back in my mouth, I'm going to chew on it a little bit more. I'm going to meditate on that truth. I'm going to get, all, I'm going to get everything out of that truth for that day that I possibly can. When I, get to the, when I come to the word of God, I'm going to get everything out of it I possibly can. That way, later on in the day, when I'm coming up, someone makes me mad at work. Somebody's, uh, we have a, a disagreement at home. We have something going on in our day. We get busy. We get angry. We get frustrated. We get irritated. We get discouraged. We get worried. We feel anxious. I'm going to take God's word that I had put in my body, put in my soul in the beginning of the day. I'm going to chew on that for the rest of the day. That's what meditation is. That's how we meditate on God's word. That's what we need to do. Quiet time with God is essential for meaningful meditation. Time with God at the beginning of your day is important because you can chew on what you've received for the rest of the day. Make quiet time with God the priority of your life. Why? Why should we do that, Pastor? Why should we make it a priority? Because the priorities you set today will create the patterns you live tomorrow. The priorities you set today will create the patterns you live tomorrow. All the, the priorities you have in your life right now, they are establishing patterns in your life. Why would we not make a priority of spending time with God so that that can become a pattern? Look at Daniel chapter 6, verse number 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he knew that the law was passed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber towards Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. Not only did Daniel make time with God a priority in his life, but you see he made it a pattern. How did, the, the, how did his colleagues know to find him? Because they knew, they knew. The pattern was so visible that even his enemies knew that Daniel prays three times a day, every day, like clockwork. It was a recurring theme in Daniel's life. It's just what he did, morning, noon, and night. They knew for a fact Daniel's going to get up, he's going to pray. He's going to take his lunch break, he's going to pray. He's going to come home after work, he's going to pray. He's going to do this every single day, every day. It was a habit, it was a recurring theme. Daniel's priority to spend time with God became a pattern for him. Make time with God a priority, but also make it a pattern in your life. Every day we need to reaffirm that Jesus is the priority in our life, and we do this by making time with him a daily pattern, a daily practice. If there was one, if there was ever an individual who didn't have to do this, who didn't have to spend time with God, it was Jesus. And yet he is the strongest example of someone who did this, of someone who made uh, time with God a pattern. You see this all over the New Testament. Mark chapter 1, verse number 35, and the, mo and, and the morning, rising up early, a great while before day, he went out and departed into a solitary place, a place and prayed. Luke chapter 5, verse number 15. But so much the more went there a fame abroad, and the great multitudes came together. Last part of that verse, he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Luke chapter 6, you see this. He withdrew himself to the wilderness and prayed. Mark chapter 6, in verse number 45, you see this. He departed into a mountain to pray. Luke chapter 11, you see this. He was alone and praying. Now Luke chapter 11, you see this. 
He was praying in a certain place. And then Mark chapter 14, verse number 32, as he's in the garden of Gethsemane, while I shall pray, he's having the disciples pray with him. And then Luke chapter 23, this is what he says, while he's hanging on the cross, Jesus had cried with a loud voice. He said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He prays. One of the last words he says on earth is a prayer. Over 10 times the gospel records Jesus coming apart to spend time with God. If daily time with God was important for Daniel and if it was important for the Savior of the world, then this might be important for us as well this morning. We don't just need God on Sunday. We need him every day. It's not just on a Sunday morning service we need God. God doesn't want to speak to you through a pastor as much as he wants to speak to you personally, daily, specifically to you. The, Christians, uh, the Christian life is not just meant to be a weekly service. It's meant to be a daily experience. God wants to meet with you personally, daily. He wants to meet with you every day. You know, it's great that God can speak to you through me. He can speak to you through his word on a Sunday morning. But more than he wants to speak to you through a pastor or somebody else, he wants to speak directly to you. And that's an amazing thing that God wants to speak to you. Not some super spiritual person. Not someone who's been to Bible college for years and years. He wants to speak to me. He wants to speak to you. He wants to speak to us. You hear people, you hear people say all the time that Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship, right? And that's true. But a healthy relationship is not made in a moment. It's made in a stream of moments. It's made in a, a pattern of moments over a period of time. You, you look at a marriage. The moment you say, I do, to the person you love, whoever that person is, you say, I do, to that person you love, the relationship isn't complete then. The relationship doesn't end at that point you say, I do. You don't know everything about the other person that you can know or that you ever will know. Your experiences don't end there. Your happy moments and sad moments, your joys and heartaches, your successes and failures don't end there when you say, I do. That's where they begin. It's supposed to be a lifetime. It's supposed to, to continue. It's not supposed to be one moment you say, I do. Okay, we're good. We know everything about each other. This thing, the whole thing is, is done now. This is where it begins. This is where we have this relationship that, 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 that keeps going and continues. And we have moments together and a stream of moments, a pattern of moments for the rest of our lives. You're supposed to grow together, learn of each other moment by moment, day by day. And so it is with Jesus. We're supposed to grow closer to him and learn him, learn of him moment by moment, day by day. And it's from this pattern, this daily pattern of time with God, that everything else happens. Look at this, verse number 20 and 21 and 22. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. So Daniel, he prays to his God. And David's, uh, Daniel's colleagues, they find him praying. Remember, they're staked out waiting for him. They're waiting for him to pray. He prays. So what do they do? They grab him. All the men assembled there, they grab Daniel. And they take him to the king and they, they say to the king, look, Daniel, the guy who you wanted to promote, you wanted to promote, king, the Daniel, this guy that you love so much, he's praying to his God. And the king doesn't want to, he doesn't want to send Daniel to the lion's den. But the law says he has to send Daniel to the lion's den. So he sets Daniel in the lion's den. By himself. He covers the pit. He seals the pit with an, a massive rock. And he can't, there's, there's complete darkness in uh, the lion's den. Look at verse number 20 and 21. When he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, this is the next day, servant of the living God, is thy God whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions. So he comes to the lion's den the next day to see if Daniel is there. 
He asks, is your king or is your, is your God able to save you? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. And I'm sure right when he says that, the king knows his God saved him. His God gave him the power he needed. My God has sent his angel and hath shut the lion's mouth that they have not hurt me. For as much before him innocency was found in me and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Because Daniel committed the crime of worshiping his God, he's thrown into the lion's den. It looked as though Daniel's pattern had given him problems. It looked as though Daniel's pattern of spending time with his God would be the thing that led him to his death. But it was, in fact, the thing that led him to salvation. Daniel's pattern ended up giving him power from God. Daniel's pattern of praying is the very thing that gave him power from God. Your pattern with God will give you power from God. You know where you're going to find power in this life? By spending time with Jesus in the morning. Spending time with Jesus throughout the day. You're going to, you know how you're going to find power in your marriage, in your relationship? You know how you're going to find power to raise your kids? You know how you're going to find power to deal with the people at work? It's with Jesus every morning. And why, why wouldn't it be this way? Why wouldn't we have power when we're connected to the source of power? It makes complete sense that the God of the universe, the universe who created all things, who has all power, who owns the, the Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He, it means he has all the resources that are available to him. Why wouldn't it be that when we connect to him that we will have power in this life? It just makes sense. Why wouldn't we have power when we're connected to the source of power? He is the anchor of our soul. Why wouldn't we have stability in the storm when we're connected to him. He is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Why wouldn't he get you through the lion's den when we're connected to him? He's the great shepherd. Why wouldn't he walk with you through the valley when you're connected to him? He is the great physician. Why wouldn't he give you power through the pain? Why wouldn't he give you, uh, why wouldn't you have experience, why wouldn't you experience his power when he is the source of power? He may not remove the valley. He may not remove uh, the pain. He may not remove the storm, just as he did not remove the lion's den from Daniel. But of this you can be sure, that he will be with you every step of the way. He may not remove the valley. He may not remove the lion's den. He may not remove the pain or the storm, but he will be with you every step of the way. Of that you can be sure. He did not remove the lion's den from Daniel, but he was with Daniel every single moment in that lion's den. When he was completely alone, or so he thought, in the dark, there was an angel sent from God to be with Daniel and to shut the mouth of the lions as he was there. The presence of God is with those who seek his presence. The power of God is with those who are in the presence of God. So seek him daily. That is where our power comes from. If you say, I don't have power for temptation. Don't, I, don't I don't know how to defeat temptation in my life. I don't know how to deal with the problems and decisions, the transitions and the, the things in my life. You know where you will find the power? You'll find it with Jesus. You'll find it spending time with him. You'll find it in the quiet. You'll find it, you know where you hear God's voice the loudest? In the quiet. You know, I love this story, the story of Elijah. The story of Elijah where he's all alone and he's, he's discouraged. He's, he's down. He's thinking about giving up. He's thinking about even taking his own life. And yet, uh, this, this, this prophet named Elijah in the Old Testament, he's, he's all alone in a mountain, in a cave by himself. And he, he steps out of the cave and he hears this mighty wind coming through. These hurricane force winds sweep through the mountains. And he's wondering if God is in the wind. God's not in the wind. 
Then all of a sudden, the earth shakes and the earth quakes and the mountains shift. And he wonders to himself, is God in this earthquake? Is God in this shaking of the earth? And God is not in the earth shaking. Then all of a sudden, a massive fire sweeps through the area where Elijah is walking and he's looking. And he wonders to himself, is God in this fire? God's not in the fire. Then all of a sudden, he hears a still, small voice. And that's where God is. You may not see God in your day-to-day life. It may be hard to visualize God in the things and the, 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 the circumstances in your life. But you know where you will find him? You'll find him in the quiet. You'll find him in the quiet place. You'll find him in the dark. The time that you spend with God alone when nobody else is, when nobody else is awake, that's where you find him. The presence of God is with those who seek his presence. Look at verse number 25 through 27. This is cool. Then King Darius wrote unto all the people, nations and languages, that dwell in all the earth. He, he sends out a new decree. This is what it says. Peace be multiplied unto you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and steadfast forever. And his kingdom, that which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall be even unto the end. He delivereth and rescueth, and he worketh signs and wonders in heaven and in earth, who hath delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. This is an amazing principle. Not only does God give Daniel the power he needs to go through the lion's den, but you see... After he gets out of the lion's den, the king is so amazed by what happens. He's so astonished by this act of God that he has witnessed, that God would lead Daniel through the lion's den and without ever being touched, that this king makes a decree. He's so astonished, he makes a decree that in all the empire and all the lands that he uh, possesses and all the lands that he is over, that everybody in his empire will worship and know and fear the God of Daniel. Everyone will uh, know him and understand him as the God that rescues as the God that delivers, as the God that saves. And instantly in this moment, you see, because of Daniel's time with God, he connected himself to the purpose of God. Because Daniel spent time with God, it allowed himself to be thrown into a lion's den. Because he, allowed him, because he was thrown into a lion's den, it allowed God to connect him to a greater purpose than himself. Because Daniel prayed three times a day, connect the dots here, because Daniel prayed three times a day, an emperor makes a decree that everybody in the entire known world at this time was to know the God of Daniel. All because Daniel prays. The entire empire knows God because Daniel got alone and prayed in a solitary place. You know what time with God does? It connects you to the grand purpose of God. When you spend time with God, you are connecting to what he wants to do in this world. You are connecting yourself to his grand plan that he has in this city. His grand plan that he has in this community. The grand plan that he has for his kingdom. Daniel's pattern of spending time with God helped accomplish God's purpose of making his name known throughout the world. When we make time with God a pattern, we will be empowered to accomplish his purpose in our life and his purpose in this world. We receive power and accomplish his purpose when we make it a priority to daily connect with him. It is my prayer that Restoration Baptist Church be a place made up of Christians who are willing to rearrange their lives to make Jesus their priority so that we can carry out his plan in our city. Isn't it an amazing thing that spending time alone with God, something so simple, it can connect you 
to the grand plan that God has in this world. You know what that also means? It means that God has a plan for you. He has something for you to do. He has something for you to accomplish in this place where you are right now. There is a plan that God has tailored for your life. And he's saying, all I want you to do is connect with me. Spend time with me so that you can accomplish that purpose. It's amazing that something as simple as spending time with God every day could empower us for life and connect us to the grand plan that he has for the world. I don't know if you guys like, um, you, worked at a, you guys all work at a job, probably. And uh, if not, you, you know what it's like. And you know if you do a good good job at your workplace, that eventually you'll get promoted. You'll get a raise or you'll get, you'll get promoted. If you do a good job, you work hard and you do everything you're supposed to do, you, you clock in, you help other people, you have a good attitude, you're helpful to the customers, whatever it is, you work hard at your job, eventually you're going to get promoted, you're going to get a raise. That's what you expect. What would happen, though, If you work hard for years and you work hard and you put your blood, sweat, and tears into that job, but you never got a promotion, would you say, man, why am I doing all of this? What am I working so hard for? But I never get a promotion. I'm an asset to this company. Do you think God ever feels like that in your life? I saved them. I love them. I've given everything for them. There is nothing I would not do. There is no distance I would not go to. There is no mountain I wouldn't climb. There is no wall I would not tear down for them. Why am I not first place in their life? God wants to be the priority in your life. Tomorrow morning, when you wake up, tomorrow morning, I'll end with this. When you wake up, God will be right there. The question is, will you meet him there?